Well, I learned from the prior guy, turn the mic on before you start talking. (laughs) Pride comes before the fall. (laughs) Well, first, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, the invitation to come. What a blessing it is to uh, to come. You have gotten to know uh, your pastor, one of your pastors, um, well, and it's just um, such an encouragement to be able to uh, pick up the phone and and, um, get some encouragement that you are doing what you're called to do to stay faithful, to keep your hand to the plow and not look back, Um, because in particular, um, church revitalization can be a discouraging and very, very difficult task. Um, let me explain a little bit about that. So uh, Jenny and I are at a church up in Smithville, Missouri. That's about 20 minutes from the airport um, up by Smithville Lake. And um, Uh, The lake there is one of the many false idols that are in the region, and uh, it's amazing. You kind of like, we've been walking around Smithville like, where are the people, you know? And then all of a sudden it started warming up, and it's like, oh, that's where they are, and all the boats start coming out and everything, so it is it is a focus. It is an emphasis. And, uh, and it really is a, a draw for much of their resources, much of their time. You know, Friday night, they clock out, they go home, they pack it all up, and they're out there the entire weekend. And so those are some of the things, the lake in particular, that we have to battle against. But in this uh, church that was planted about 10 years ago, um, would say it was um, planted with not the right people and not the right vision. Not the right people and not the right vision. What we have sort of discovered is throughout the years as we've sort of surveyed the history of the church and kind of um, sensed what has been going on there for a number of years is Um, highly skilled individuals that were good at various things, but maybe or maybe not, um, maybe they were or maybe they weren't believers, were placed into positions, into prominent leadership positions. And so it was a a very um, pragmatic approach to trying to accomplish church. And so what you had was some things worked from a worldly standpoint, But in the end of the day, as you um, just kind of surveyed the spiritual health of the church, they weren't growing spiritually. Um, Most of the ministries there were just not built on a solid foundation of biblical truth. It wasn't completely devoid of biblical truth, but it wasn't the primary emphasis. Um, And so by God's grace... Um, the Lord began to um, work in the heart of some of the leaders and they began sensing some of this and recognizing some of this and seeking some wise counsel um, at the crossroads that they were in where their uh, lead pastor was going to be stepping down and by God's grace once again to him and that church he realized that he really wasn't called to lead a church in that capacity and wanted to step down and pass that 
on. And so they began seeking uh, for someone to come in and be able to really speak to that foundational aspect of a church, to try and place um, in uh, a solid biblical foundation. And so that is what we have been doing, beginning really from the pulpit. Um, you know, verse by verse, expository preaching, I know you know it well. <laughs> Um, but that, believe it or not, is, you know, not a, not a primary emphasis in most churches. And um, beginning to teach them what inductive Bible study is. How do you open the scriptures and study them for yourselves? Uh, beginning, and I've been kind of sharing this fun um, little ministry tool that I picked up along the way in my training um, was, is a sermon review. And so we have a gathering of folks who are growing in the word and are encouraged uh, in that and are um, learning how to study God's word for themselves. And they come and we talk about last week's sermon. How was it? And, and we don't want to know how did it make you feel. We want to know was the primary message of the sermon the primary message of the text, which means you have to understand how to study the Bible and to ascertain what is it saying. And they, they are growing in that. They are growing in that. They are in the word and coming to those sermon reviews and now it says here, and it's just really, really encouraging. But that is, that is brand new for them. Um, we began a, I began a men's inductive Bible study uh, going through the book of Galatians and primarily emphasizing, you know, one of those things that Paul says there is um, um, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to the one we've preached, let him be accursed. And he's calling the congregation to listen like good Bereans. That's a good name around here, isn't it? Jerry, amen. Um, and, and to ascertain whether the, the gospel that's being preached is a biblical gospel. And it calls the congregation to be engaged and not just passively listening. This is, this is new for them. Um, Jenny started uh, recently a ladies inductive Bible study going through the book of Philippians and they are coming and growing and they're kind of in that stage where it's like why were we not taught this no one's ever taught us how to study the Bible and they're just loving it and it's wonderful so those are the goods <laughs> Some of the um, just necessary associated sort of um, consequences to how we want to grow is it is slow growth. Um, you know, fog machines and lasers, we're not buying. Um, it is just, just the ABCs and one, two, threes of biblical Christianity, just foundational principles and patiently restating and reteaching things to folks that have not been taught well for a number of years. And, and in large part, it's unteaching things that have been ill-taught and having to go, well, that's not what the scriptures say. Let's study that together. And so it is slow growth, but by God's grace, we're seeing growth like the men and women in the Bible studies just enjoying digging in God's word and applying it to their lives and being able to have conversations that have biblical substance to them. 
And so um, we're encouraged about that. Uh, we, I, I took the pulpit in May, so we're on our year anniversary. Now from May to July of last year, we traveled the two hours from Emporia to Smithville. <laughs> that was a challenge. And it wasn't three hours, but still, two hours every Sunday. And then there was meetings in between because we were trying to get to know folks. And it was, it was a challenge. Well, by God's grace, we, we were able to find a home and sell our home in Emporia and move there. And so we moved there in July. And then obviously, you know, you're, you're in transition. You're trying to set up your home and do all of that and juggle church and home and, and our teenagers that we were relocating from Emporia into Smithville. And there was, um, you know, definitely some, some difficulties with that. Just, you know, it's, it's hard to transition um, for adults that want to go, much less teenagers are like kind of trying to be coerced and convinced into this is God's will for your life. Um, and it was... Uh, it was fun, but by God's grace, I know I keep saying that, but it's just, boy, it's definitely a theme in all of this. Um, the, the kids are all in that place now where they're seeing God's hand in it and enjoying the place that they're in, enjoying what the Lord has brought into their life with a new church and new friends and new gospel opportunities for them, um, our, our believing children. And uh, so that's been a, a, a blessing. Um, there's going to be kind of a Q&A time at the end, so I'm sure there's some questions rattling. Well, what about this? What about this? Ask me, because I'm sure I forgot to mention something uh, that might be uh, helpful or, or of interest to you. But all of this talk of the truth and biblical foundations um, would mean almost nothing apart from getting into biblical truth and preaching some foundations. So um, if it's okay, I'm going to preach an entire book of the Bible. Is that okay? Do we have time for that? Awesome. Um, third John, third, I know, it's kind of cheating. <clears throat> it's kind of cheating, but it's a, it's a whole book. Third John, bless you, and before... Sorry, just, I, now when, you're, when you're used to like just a very, very small group of people, things become pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty informal. So, you know, you say bless you from the pulpit and stuff. That's how it goes. Hey, let me pray as we uh, open this text together. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Newton Bible Church. Thank you for um, just uh, your grace and your mercy for Christ, for the gospel, for the unity and the bond of peace that those who... Um, uh, know you in a saving way by your grace have been not only drawn out of darkness into your glorious light but uni united into um, a universal body of Christ brothers and sisters in different locations um, uh, advancing the kingdom um, by the power of the spirit and the power of the word so Lord we um, pray that as we open your word now together, you would be exalted. Christ would be put on display. We would be built up and encouraged for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the book of Third John, obviously written by the uh, Apostle John, and he is um, writing this in particular to a man named Gaius. 
a, an elder, a beloved elder. And in verse one, and I'm just going to kind of go through the text and preach those verses as we come to them. And what we'll see is um, kind of a five-point outline. We're going to see that uh, those who seek to rejoice in the truth, as those who know and love the truth, truth ought to do, as we rejoice in the truth, uh, what that looks like is we possess the truth. We possess it. It becomes ours. We, we walk in that truth. We support the truth. We are able to discern the truth and grow in that discernment, and then we enjoy the bond within the body that upholds and possesses that truth. So as we look at verse 1, the Apostle John directs his letter to Gaius, the elder, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Notice his relationship, his affinity, his affection for this man Gaius is really all centered around the truth. It's centered around the truth. He says, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. So he's praying for Gaius's health. And then this is very interesting. As it goes well with your soul. And that is a really interesting dichotomy there. He's praying for Gaius for his health, his, which is temporal, which is more uncertain than his eternal soul. And notice he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. That is uncertain from day to day. Amen? We could have good health today and tomorrow we could have some struggles. Even believers, that may be God's will for us. But it is certainly okay and permissible and right um, and God glorifying to pray for one another, to pray for health. We're not to be overly um, uh, focused on health or expect it, right? That would be a, a false gospel, a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, but certainly to um, pray for God's grace and mercy for health or just the endurance to endure whatever comes, whether it be health or no health. But then in comparison, he says, I'm praying that you would have good health just like it goes well with your soul. That's a done deal. Oh, church, <laughs> that's, that's awesome, right? His temporal health is really not something that is settled that the Apostle Paul or Gaius or any one of us can say that is done. But what is if you're in Christ? What is if you're in Christ? Your eternal health, that your soul is certainly Saved, right, safe, secure. So John is saying, in the same way that your soul is secure in Christ, I would pray that you would have the same kind of health, that it, was, that it is secure, that it is 
in that place. What an encouragement. Where does that come from, the truth? It comes from rejoicing the truth, knowing the truth, possessing that truth. He goes on in verse 3 as we see our first point. He's possessing the truth and he's talking about Gaius in this sense that he is not just someone who knows the truth, but he possesses the truth. It becomes his. Notice in verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Okay, stop. These brothers. Now, Matt said I could go as long as I want. It's his fault. I won't. But these brothers come and they have spent time with Gaius and their testimony about Gaius is his truth. That he actually possessed the truth. This is not just truth, but it was his truth. He, he laid claim to it. He owned it. It was a part of very, the very fabric of his being, who he was. It identified his personality, his interaction with others. They testified of your truth. This, this person walks in truth. He is the same person in private as he is in public. And that person is built on the truth. You testified of your truth. Indeed, you are walking in the truth. There it is. There's where the rubber meets the road. We can talk about the truth. We can say that we hold the truth. But if we do not walk in that truth, if we do not actually follow through with those things that by our mouths we profess we believe, we don't live that out in our life, there is no way that our, that our testimony will match the truth. But Gaius did. Gaius' testimony matched the truth. It was, it was his, and he demonstrated that it was his, and he took ownership of it, that he enjoyed it, that it became the very core of his being because he, he walked in it. He walked in it. And not only that, but Gaius, Gaius also supported the truth. He supported the truth. Look at verse 4. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius, no doubt, was a spiritual disciple of the apostle John, and he had heard the testimony came back to him of his faithfulness, how closely he was walking to the truth, how close he was walking to the gospel, how it did continue to transform who he was. In Second John, beginning in verse 4, John says this, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. 
And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What does that look like? Obedience. Obedience. Gaius not only held to the truth in word, but also in deed, and it was demonstrated in an obedient life. He was just obedient to the gospel. He was obedient to the, the law of Christ, the law of love, and demonstrated in his obedience that he was indeed possessing and walking in that truth. And for that, and the very details that John is going to give us, he commends Gaius. And we get some very specific details in how Gaius was obeying the truth. How was he supporting the truth? Look at verse five. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Stop. Gaius was intentionally putting his pocketbook where his mouth was and supporting the church. I'll tell you what, as I studied this text for the first time, I really felt the awkward and humiliating position that these brothers, strangers as they were, would have been in when they came to Gaius' church and they're like, hi, how's it going? So we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we're telling people. God is holy. He must punish sin. But he is also loving. And he has sent a provision for our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both God and man, fully God and fully man. And he lived the perfect life that none of us have lived. He died the death that all of us deserved. And by virtue of faith in his work and not ours, completely abandoning any effort on our own to merit salvation, to merit forgiveness, to merit grace, but laying hold of Christ and Christ only, God will forgive us, redeem us, and adopt us into his family. And the glorious blessing of that message is that it is not just for Jews. That great message has went out to the nations. That God would, through us, through broken vessels, advance the kingdom and let our light so shine that men might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And God will demonstrate that He is 
faithful to do exactly what he says he will do. And in heaven, there will be a representation from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation who are saved and redeemed and forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you support us in that? And Gaius and his church went, yes, yes, that, we're all about that, right? That, that's, that, that's it, right? <laughs> John says, beloved, it is a, it's a faithful thing you do. In all your efforts, for these brothers, strangers as they are. Strangers as they are. It doesn't matter whether Gaius knew them personally or not. But Gaius knew the truth that they were preaching. Gaius possessed the truth, he, he upheld the truth, he walked in that truth, and he could recognize it when he walked in the door. That is something we're going to support. Faithful thing to support these brothers, even though they were strangers. Why? Because they testified to your love before the church. Then he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Wow. By God's incredible grace, we're enjoying some of that. We have been in a position in this revitalization where the church that we are caring for and ministering to are spiritual babes we are small in number and small in spiritual stature, but by God's grace, they're growing in a lot of areas, but are not able to support a full-time pastor, which is something they certainly have not benefited from, and we can see the effects of that over a number of years. And so we have been communicating with friends and um, ministry partners like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ say, here's what the Lord's called us to do. We see some blessing and some fruit and we're encouraged that he wants us to continue to do that work. Will you help us? Will you partner with us in that ministry effort? And they're doing it. God's doing it through them. And we're able to focus on caring for this church he says, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Not based on Gaius, not based on the brothers, but based on the worthiness of who God is. All centered around the truth. And then he highlights something very interesting. Why is this need there for the brothers? You're looking for support. Verse seven, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. 
Not wanting to be in a position to be calling unbelievers to give in a manner that they don't understand. They look to spiritually mature churches like the one that Gaius was at to say, will you help us in this endeavor so that we don't have to be in that position with these Gentiles. We want to just pour out God's grace and love and mercy. They accepted nothing from the Gentiles. And then on the basis of their teaching the truth, And being in this need, in this ministry situation, in verse 8, the Apostle John says, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Right now, as, as we are kind of sharing, like, you know, with this just small group of people that are growing in their faith and are just seeing God's grace and mercy and blessing and the, the, the fruit of the love of Christ being poured out on this small group of people. They're just blown away at the love of God and the love of the body of Christ. And right now, we are talking to them about, yes, isn't that a blessing? Boy, What is that going to look like for us to do? Who are we going to love? Who are we going to support? Who are we going to send along their journey in a manner worthy of God? We don't have to wait until, you know, we have X amount in the bank. Even small churches with small means can be right now putting aside what it looks like to be faithful, to possess the truth, to walk in that truth and to support that truth. What does supporting the truth look like? Do we really truly possess that truth and want to walk in that obedience? If we do, North Lake Church, let's be coming up with a plan to support short-term missions, to support church planting, to support strong swallow, even maybe another revitalization if we've learned some things along the way and we can be of benefit and support to another group doing that faithfully. What does it look like? He continues in verse 9, discerning the truth. Those who rejoice in the truth, they they grow in discernment of the truth. It's not just enough to say, hey, we need to support the truth. We need to understand what is true and what is not true. It's been said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's discernment. In verse 9, he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. What do we see already with this person who the Apostle John has no problem calling out by name? He is proud and he is rebellious. 
He puts himself first. He does not acknowledge the the authority that King Jesus has already established in the apostles of the Lamb. In the gospel, he does not recognize that authority. Verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. So now what is it? He's being divisive. I mean, Diotrephes is just completely against the truth and anyone who was, is teaching it. Why? Because it's contrary to his agenda. He's divisive. He says, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. What is Diotrephes interested in? Advancing his own agenda. Advancing his own kingdom. He wants to erect some big thing, some big ministry, and have it be, you know, Diotrephes ministry. It's not the kingdom of Christ. It's not built on the truth. It's built on the personality of Diotrephes. And so... Almost very purposely, the Apostle John is saying, not like this guy. Gaius, yes. Diotrephes, no. Verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil... Has not seen God. Like, don't squelch the truth. Promote the truth. Support the truth. Don't be proud against the truth. Don't be rebellious against the authority that King Jesus has placed to promote the truth and to advance the truth. Don't be divisive against those who would find unity within the truth. Verse 12, kind of finishes this little epistle off, focusing on the, the fruit, one of the fruits that those who rejoice in the truth ought to have, just this bond, this bond and unity that we have in the truth. Verse 12 begins completely shifting gears, pointing to somebody who... who is someone to emulate, Demetrius, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Wow. I would love, would love to live as close to that reality as possible. For those around me to say, Alvin has received a good testimony from the truth. What does that mean? When you look at Alvin, when you look at you, and you look at the truth, you say, yep, one and the same. This is someone who possesses the truth, who walks in the truth, who is obedient to the truth, who promotes the truth, who really truly has loved and promoted the truth and not exalted self, not been proud and rebellious and divisive, but has been submissive to the truth and wanted to advance the kingdom through 
the truth, to advance Christ's kingdom and not ours. Demetrius. Goes on, he says, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. And his final greeting is we're encouraged to bond in the truth. I had much to write to you. But I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Man. <laughs> it was certainly in a season when there has been some um, added caution and care as there are... Um, uh, Sickness that is raging through the country. There are times to be careful. But also, King Jesus has commanded us in his word not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Why? Because it's an incredible benefit to us as we stir one another up toward love and good deeds. And it is a fruit and an enjoyment for those who have been set apart for the purpose of the truth. That we bond in that truth and we encourage one another and find joy and fulfillment and help and aid and support and love. Opportunities to serve and be served as we bond together and we minister face to face. For a season, for a season, those in the church can fellowship through a screen. That is not King Jesus' plan. Hopefully I'm not stepping on any toes. You guys are all here. None of you. It's face to face. And, and that is just the, the natural draw that the body of Christ would have for one another, to want to be together, to want to be face-to-face -face and enjoy that bond that we have in the peace of the gospel. It finishes off, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Or the intimacy there. Being in the trenches, fighting the fight, waging the, waging the wars, the good kind of wars to advance the kingdom, to, to possess the truth, to hold the truth, to walk in the truth, to, to um, support the truth, to advance the kingdom and all of the sacrifices that collectively we walk in. And you look at those who are doing that same good ministry and they are yoke fellows. They are dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what we go through to advance the kingdom so that Christ would be honored, so that souls would be saved. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And the joy and fellowship that we have as we bond in that. One of the blessings and benefits of being an associate pastor for so many years is uh, I was training up younger men under me and so they would, you know, preach the college ministry on Sunday and preach at the youth group for Sunday school and then I was able to answer calls to come and fill pulpits around Kansas and began to develop relationships and um, just a, a love and a unity 
uh, with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ and local churches that love the Lord and possess and walk in and support the truth in the same way. Um, What a blessing, what a blessing that is. So to that end, let me pray. And uh, then I don't know if Matt wants to like, lead or just be there and I can ask answer questions but uh, let me pray father we thank you or thank you for the truth or thank you for the clarity that we have in the scriptures thank you for um, leaders and elders and pastors that you have given to the church to equip the church for the work of the ministry Lord, thank you for the the faithfulness of Newton Bible, and um, thank you for this opportunity. Pray that, um, Lord, you would uh, continue that work uh, with uh, North Lake Church, and um, Lord, just thank you for your grace and mercy in this, and um, Lord, uh, um, you... Um, you know your resources and you know um, what you have placed on the, the hearts and uh, within the passions of this local body of believers and um, you have called them to a work and thank you for that and pray that um, what is done here um, and the decisions that are made um, would be uh, pleasing to you. Lord, we know that you do all things well and we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Awesome, great. So open it up. Any questions or comments? Questions about Smithville? So you mentioned yeah. that there were, there were groups that called or were looking for someone like you to come. And yep. You got in contact with them. So the yep. question 